Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here today. I apologize for the quality of my voice. Uh, began losing it on Friday, and rather than getting better, it's gotten worse, and so hopefully and prayerfully, I can get through the morning, and uh, appreciate so much you being here. I do want to welcome those of you who are visitors. As always, we invite you to come back. We're so grateful that you come our way from week to week, and we want to encourage you to come back. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. I think this is a great church, a lot of great people. Uh, we've got an outstanding youth group, and so if you're looking for a place for your children, your teenagers to be what they ought to be, then from my vantage point, this is where you need to be. And so we would love to have you. I do want to mention very quickly that uh, right now, tentatively, uh, plans are to have a, I guess I'd call it a camp out. October the 19th and 20th, which is a Friday night in Hardy, Arkansas. Several years ago, some of us went to Hardy, Arkansas. I know the Niles went, uh, Joel and Beth Taylor. I can't remember everyone that went, but uh, you, can, you can stay in a tent. Those accommodations are great if you've ever spent the night in a tent. I know you'd probably enjoy that. Uh, you can, you can uh, rent a cabin. I think Joel and Beth rented a cabin. We rented a cabin. Uh, Nancy hates bugs. And so she didn't like the idea of a tent. But nonetheless, if you want to sleep on the ground, then that's your choice. But if you'd like to go, they'll, uh, I know it'd be a great gathering. I'll have a little devotional, uh, spend some time uh, together. And then uh, when we went, we floated the Spring River. If you like to get wet, then you need to go. So... Uh, tonight, there's going to be a meeting for anyone interested in going. If you'll come back tonight, uh, there'll be a short meeting right after services down front. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, in our study together today. As we think about the appointment no one will miss, many of us have appointments on a regular basis. There are times when because of circumstances beyond our control, appointments have to be changed, sometimes canceled. In Hebrews chapter nine, the writer talks about an appointment that all of us as members of the human family will face. Interestingly, it is an appointment that no one will miss. So listen to what he said. Verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. In our study together today, there are two very simple points I want to share with you. The first thing that I want to discuss for a moment or two has to do with the span of life, span of life. When we think about the span of life, the first thing that obviously comes to our mind is the brevity of life. The fact that life is short, isn't it? And as I think about the brevity of life, there are a couple of points that I would call attention to. The first has to do with the durability 
of the body. I want you to think about your body for a minute. You know, the Bible says that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. The body that you and I possess is a marvelous piece of construction and design or engineering. And we know, we believe that God is the one that made us in his own image and likeness. The body that God designed for us that we tabernacle in today is not built for the long haul. As a matter of fact, we come face to face with the aging process every day. We understand that the body is not built to last on planet earth forever. You could read Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where the writer there in a very vivid manner talks about the aging process. I think about David many, many years ago when he said, I was young and now I'm old. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter four talks about the outward man that is perishing, that is this physical body. And as you grow older, you begin to see that aging process become a reality. So the durability of the body, and then what about the duration of the body? At best, how long, how long can we live here upon planet Earth? Do you remember Jacob many, many years ago as he stood before Pharaoh? And he said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage or sojourning upon planet Earth, he said, are 130 years, and that's a long time. But he said, few and evil have been my days. Though he had lived to be 130 years of age, he said, in reality, his days upon earth were few. Job would write, and Job was probably, I would say probably the first writer in the Old Testament. He was a patriarch. And Job said in chapter 14, verse one, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. And then the psalmist in Psalm 90 at verse 10 said that the days of our years, we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age. He said those years are accompanied by strength, sorrow, and labor. And then he said, it is cut off and we soon fly away. In that context, he would say, so teach us to number our days, to recognize that we're not gonna be here forever. And then you remember the words of James in James chapter four, verse 14, where James said that life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. This past week, I began to think about life and the duration of life. And there were a couple of things that really brought it home to me, one of which I was asked if I would be willing to conduct a funeral service in the next three weeks. The possibility, very strong, that within the next couple of weeks, someone will pass away. So I got to thinking about that in another instance or occurrence this week. What if you only had three years to live? What if you went to 
your physician this week. And during the course of your consultation, after looking at your blood work and some of the other tests that had been performed on you, your physician said, look, you've got at best three more years. How would you live those three years? Would you make the most of the time that you have? I want you to think about it for a minute. That means if you only have three years to live, that means you've got three more Thanksgivings to spend with your family. It means you have three more Christmases to spend with your family, with your family and friends. You've got three more falls, three more winters, three more springs, and three more summers. If your children are in school, that means that you have the opportunity to begin a new year based on where we are now two more times. That's all you have. So how would you spend your time? Would you use the time that you have, would you use it wisely would you squander it? Do you think that every day when you got up, life would be a little bit sweeter? That your friends would mean more to you, your family members, you'd cherish them more? Do you think in some way that you would be more forgiving, more kind, more courteous? That you would express your love and appreciation for others? Do you think that you would see the importance of making sure that your life, spiritually speaking, is where it ought to be? I mean, these are things that, that we would be dealing with. So the clock's ticking. You've got three years. How are you going to use that time? So I think about the brevity of life but then also the blessings of life. And we're talking about the span of life. The brevity of life is well-defined. We don't have an issue with that because we know there's really nothing we can do about it. But what about the blessings? Do you cherish the blessings that God has given you on a daily basis? Think about some of the blessings you have. The frame, that is, your human body. I mentioned a moment ago, the psalmist said that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me tell you what, if you have your health, you're a millionaire. You're blessed. There are people in our world today, they have a lot of money. And they have great power. They are popular in the circles in which they operate, and yet the problem is, physically speaking, they're in poor health, some even terminal. Their situation, irreversible. So you think about your blessings, and if you're a healthy person, you're a blessed person. You ought to be grateful for that. What about your family? 
How often do you thank God for your family? You know, Solomon said, whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. In Proverbs 18, verse 22. I think the same thing could be said for a woman who marries a Christian man. She's found a good thing. I think about the words in Proverbs 31 of that worthy woman whose price is far above rubies. There are some of you that have family members that in your mind, you know you've been blessed. They are bone of your bones, flesh of your flesh, and they have been an immeasurable blessing to you. What about your friends? Someone said on one occasion, a friend is one before whom I may think aloud. Solomon said, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Look, if you have good friends, you're blessed. So let's say you got three years to live. What about your friends, your family members? Are you gonna use the time that you have wisely with them? Will you continue to be an influence for good in their lives? Will you try to express and, or to convey to them how much you appreciate them and what a blessing they've been to you? The reason I say that is because sometimes we don't have the opportunity or the luxury of saying goodbye. For many of us, death might be a sudden occurrence. So to cherish every day to cherish every moment that we have with friends and family members, your finances. Aren't you grateful for the tremendous wealth that God has blessed you with? That you have the financial means to enjoy life and then you can use those financial means that God has blessed you with to be a blessing in the lives of other people. So there are so many things that we have to be grateful for in this life. And then just the various experiences of life, I would categorize them under the heading of just fun times. We've all had some good times in life. But when you understand that life is brief, and if you look at it from the vantage point, I've only got three years to live, how much are you gonna try to cram into those three years? Now, there's another thing I want to share with you as we think about the span of life. First, the brevity. Secondly, the blessings. And then thirdly, the bullseye. What about the bullseye in life? We know what a bullseye is. It's a target. And the idea is that we are aiming for a specific target in life. So what I want to do is call attention first and foremost to the substance of life, identifying the substance of life. If somebody were to ask you, what's life all about? What would you say? Is it all about you? Is it all about pleasure? Is it all about power? What's life all about? I mean, how would you define the purpose of your existence? 
If somebody were to ask you in a very candid way, what has your life been about up until this point in time, what would you say? You remember when we had college English classes, high school English classes, and the teacher, the professor, the instructor would ask of us as students to write a narrative, to write some composition, maybe of our life or some other thing about our life. If somebody were to ask you, what's been the narrative of your life, what would you say? Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 tells us what the real substance of life is all about, doesn't he? And the interesting thing about Solomon is he minces no words, he cuts no corners, but rather he gets to the heart of the matter. And there are a lot of folks in our world today when you begin to talk about what life is all about, the purpose of life, to them it's shrouded in mystery. They're looking, they're trying to identify what it's all about and Solomon tells us in very plain terms. He said, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. In other words, what Solomon is saying is, if you want to know what life is all about, it's about living a God-centered life. Why? Because the things of this world, including the physical body, will perish. I mean, doesn't matter how much money you've made. Doesn't matter how many businesses you own. Doesn't matter how popular you are, nor how powerful you have become. What really matters is centering your life on God, to live a God-focused, God-centered life. Jesus said it best. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, 33. And so the substance of life and identify that substance. But then there's another aspect of this. And that is to somehow identify the seriousness of life. I know that there is a light side of life. The lighter side of life is to enjoy the blessings that God has bestowed on us. If somebody were to ask me today, do you think God wants me to enjoy a life? My answer would be yes. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about those who would see good days and enjoy this life. I think God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be content and satisfied. But to understand that there is also a serious dimension to life, that serious dimension is brought out by Solomon. Because in verse 14, Solomon said, first, what life's all about is to fear God, keep his commandments. The reason is because he said, God's going to bring every work into the judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. So that's a serious side of it that there is accountability. With responsibility comes accountability. God's granted us life. We have the responsibility of using 
the time we have here on planet Earth wisely. And he'll hold us accountable for that. Now there's a second major thought I want to share with you in our study. First, the span of life, the shortness of life, but then secondly, the summons after life. Listen, to what, listen again to what the Hebrew writer said, verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Sobering words. I get it in this life. We don't want to talk about the brevity of life. We don't like to think about death. We would rather not be reminded that our existence here will one day end. I get all of that. I also get the fact that we don't like to think about the judgment. We don't like to, stand, we don't like to think about standing before God. We don't like to talk about the fact that one day the Lord will come and hold us accountable. But it's a reality. So when you begin looking at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, there are some things that grow out of this text that we need to be reminded of. First, there will be a revelation. There will be the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven. You know, the Bible talks very candidly about the second coming of Christ. And the Bible says that the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will be audible in the sense that everyone will know when he comes. Paul said that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Can you imagine what that will be like? Jesus said in John chapter 5 that all who were in the graves will hear his voice. I mean, think about it. There is coming a point in time in the history of man, and I know there are people that will wave their hand and say, yeah, that's just a bunch of fiction. I don't believe that. Let me tell you what. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when, as Paul said, the Lord's going to, to descend from heaven. He will descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise. That's a fact. It will be, it will be an audible coming, and it will be a visible coming. John said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, that Jesus will come with the clouds, and he said, Every eye will see him. We have never seen the face of Jesus outside of scripture. And many of us have wondered in our heart of hearts, what will it be like to stand before Jesus, to see him face to face? Well, let me tell you what, you'll get that opportunity. John said that when Jesus comes, it'll be visible. Every eye shall see him. They also who pierced him so there's going to be a revelation. And then secondly, there's going to be 
an examination. Because the Hebrew writer said, listen again. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The writer here is saying, look, you need to understand something. You're going to stand before the Lord one day. I want to talk for a minute about the standard that's going to be used at the judgment. The standard that's going to be employed on the day of judgment is what we call the Bible. In Romans chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Pilate asked the question. You remember when Pilate asked, what is truth? Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So God's word is truth. Paul in Romans 2, verse 16 said that God will judge the secrets of men by my gospel, by the word. Jesus himself said in John 12, verse 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, he said the same shall judge him in the last day. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, John said, on that great and final day, the books will be opened. What books? God's word. So in light of that fact, in view of the, in view of the reality that one day we're, we're gonna stand before God, there will be an examination. And the standard that's gonna be employed is the word of God. May I ask you today, how well do you know this book? How well do you know the Bible? It's going to judge you. Don't you think you need to know something about it? Don't you think you need to know something about the one who authored it? I mean, after all, God created us. As our creator, does he not have the right to regulate how we live here upon planet Earth? The answer is yes. So that means since he has given us the blessings of life, the responsibilities of life, there's accountability. What about the subjects who will stand before him? Do you remember in Revelation chapter 20, John said, I saw the dead, the small and great standing before God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in the presence of people that have lived centuries ago on that great and final day. I mean, the who's who of the human population. And we're all there. John said, I saw the dead, the small and great, the rich, the poor, the famous, the infamous, the good, the bad. Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus, talks, when Jesus talked about his second coming, he said he would be seated upon the throne of his glory and then he said, all nations will be gathered before him. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Paul said that God will judge the world in righteousness. Collectively, the human will be there. But individually, we will be there. 
Paul said, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. Did you know that one day you'll have an audience with the Lord? That you will have the opportunity to stand in the presence of King Jesus and give an account of your life. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? To think about standing before his throne We'll all be there. There's a third thing very quickly I want to share. Our time's gone. And that is there will be a habitation. In other words, following that examination, God is going to assign your final home, your final dwelling place. Here's what I want you to see. You control that. No one else does. You control where you will spend eternity. I don't want you to leave here today and think that God does not want you to be with him in heaven because he does. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants you to be at home with him in heaven. And Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, he said, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Peter talks about how we have an inheritance. It's incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away. And he said it's reserved in heaven for you. So if you go to heaven, you will go to heaven because you wanted to go. You planned, you prepared, you persevered, you stayed the course. And one day when you stand before him, here's what he's going to say to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. The saints have a home. It's called heaven. Now, you know, just like a coin, there are two sides, heads and tails, two sides to eternity. On the one hand, there's heaven. That's where the saints will reside. On the other hand, we have the sinners. Those who have not obeyed the gospel. That is, they've never put their faith in Jesus, never repented of their sins, never acknowledged him as Lord. They've never been immersed in water so that all their sins could be washed away. They have no contact with the blood of Christ. In short, they're without hope and without God, Ephesians 2.12. When people step out into eternity in that state, they're lost. And sadly, there's no reason for that, but they're lost. Those who are members of the body of Christ that left the Lord, went back to the world, turn their back on the Lord. They're in trouble. 
They're in trouble today. If they're in eternity, they're in trouble now. And so Peter talks about those in 2 Peter chapter 2 who have forsaken the right way. What you need to understand is if you're living in sin, you've got a home waiting on you. But it's not the home that you want to go to. It's not home sweet home. It's a place called hell. And it is just as real and just as certain as heaven. But God doesn't want you to be there. Sin is the cause of people going to hell. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to become a child of God. We talked about the span of life, the summons after life, and the fact of the matter is, unless Jesus comes, we'll all walk the corridor of death. And for certain, we'll all stand before him in judgment. So when we stand before him, there are two options. We could have been faithful. His blood could have been cleansing us from sin on a regular basis. And we'll hear him say, well done. Enter into the joy prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Flip side is, we could have lived in sin. We could have gone back into the world. And we'll hear him say, depart, you cursed in the everlasting fire. So what's he going to say to you? When it's all said and done, what's he going to say to you? What will he say? It'll be a time of joy or a time of sorrow. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, why not become one today? If you're here and you're unfaithful to his cause, why not come home as we stand and sing?